leading by. Thank you, Bill. And he hurried to them and bowed low to the ground in front of them. So he must know that he must have known that the Lord was one of them, or at least that the people coming were sent by the Lord, because he rushed out and then bowed down to them. And I don't think that Abraham, in in his faith and where he is at, would have bowed down to anybody but the Lord or somebody coming from the Lord. And at the same time, he ran out. He rushed to them from his tent. And you know, you got to remember, this is somebody that's 99 years old, and they're jumping up and rushing out. I don't think that that's something that most 99-year-olds would do unless it was for somebody really important. So I'm pretty sure that he knew that it was God that was coming. And so on the uh, fill-in sheet on section 1, letter B, it's when the Lord comes to comes to us, we shouldn't think about doing what he's calling us to do. We should just rush out and do it, just like Abraham did. That you know, He, being 99 years old, is jumping up and rushing out. That we also, when God's calling us to something, and God comes to us, we shouldn't sit and think about doing what he's asking us to do, but we should rush out and you know, go head on into whatever it is that he's asking us to do. And then we also see that it was three men, which tells us that that because they were three men, and we know that the Lord was one of them, because it said right in the beginning that the Lord the Lord appeared to Abraham right in the first first verse. This had to have been a theophany or a Christophany, where Christ is appearing in the flesh before he was actually born into this earth. And we know that because it says it's three men. It wasn't you know two men and and you know the the glory of God. It was three men there. And so that we, from this, we can see that that would be a Christophany. And that would be, you know, a Christophany is an Old Testament appearing of God in the flesh. And that would be our section one, letter C fill-in, where it says, God appearing to man in the flesh in the Old Testament is known as a theophany or Christophany. And continuing on, verses three through five. It says, Abraham here offers hospitality to his guests, and he's kind of offering up a feast that they come, and he wants to offer some hospitality to to the angels and to God that came to stop by. So he offers them some water to wash their feet and rest under the tree. That's pretty common in that time. People are out walking, and they're walking through the dust and everything. So he's, it's, you would offer a guest you know, some water to wash their feet so they get comfortable. And he offers them up some food. So he says, you know, get something to eat and be refreshed and then go on your way. And from this, I get the feeling that Abraham knew that God wasn't just coming to talk to him, that there was something more that was going to be going on. Because when he says, eat something, be refreshed, and then go on your way, it's almost like he's saying, like, you know, eat and go. And I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be trying to rush the Lord out, you know, if if God came to stop by your house and wanted to sit down and talk to you, I don't think he'd be like, well, let me get you some food so you can get out of here. It'd be, you know, How long can I spend with you? What kind of time can we have fellowship here? But it would seem clear that Abraham knew that there was more going on than him just stopping by to see him. And so in verse 6, I'll go ahead and read here a little bit more. It says, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three sayas of fine flour and knead it 
and baked some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that were prepared and set them before them. While they ate, he stood near under a tree. So here, they all they all agreed that they're going to have something to eat. And then Abraham, Abraham runs off and kind of gets things started, gets things underway. So the first thing he does is he goes to Sarah and he says, you know, get three sayas of fine flour. And the first thing to note on that is that he didn't say get three sayas of flour, but he said three sayas of fine flour. That when we look at this, we shouldn't be, he's giving something that's the best. It's, he wasn't just giving ordinary flour. He, he wanted to be, you know, when we give God something, we want it to be our finest, our, our best, or something that we'd be really saving for a special occasion or something. And so that's the kind of thing, when we give something to God, we want it to be the best that we can do. And it'd be something that we'd be saving for like a, an anniversary or something like that. And, you know, what bigger occasion could happen than, you know, God showing up to your house and you're going to feed him. So that's the kind of offering that Abraham was giving. That's the kind of thing that we should do as well, that, you know, what we give to the Lord should be something sacrificial, not just whatever we have left over. And so the fill-in on, on the section I, section I, letter D, would be when we give offerings to the Lord, it should be our finest and sacrificial. And so with that, Abraham tells Sarah, you know, make three seahs of flour worth of bread. So how much is a seah? You know, a seah, I was looking it up, and it's, it's a little more than a gallon and a half. It's 1.66 gallons of dry volume of flour. That's for one seah. And so he's doing three sayas of flour, which is about a five-gallon bucket of flour. So, you know, go down to Home Depot and get one of those big orange buckets, that much flour to make bread. So you can imagine the the amount of bread that he's going to be making. That's a lot of bread if you're making a five-gallon bucket's worth of flour of bread. And then he goes and gets a calf to prepare. So calf's probably going to weigh somewhere around, you know, four or five hundred pounds. It's it's a big animal. I mean, it's still young, but there's a lot of meat on one of those. You get take all the bones out and everything, you look at what's there, and the 500-pound calf's probably going to give you, you know, a couple hundred pounds of meat. You remember, this? it says there's three men that he ran to. It's not like there was a crowd of hundreds of people or something like that. It's just the three men. So we look at that, and then next he gets some curds and milk, and the calf to set before them while they eat. He stood nearby under the tree. And so the word for curds here in the Bible, in the original language, is chema, which is also used to translate as butter or things related to cheese. So, you know, curds might sound kind of odd to give us something, but if you think of it more like he's giving butter or cheese to go with all the bread, which they could certainly use plenty of that with all the bread that's going to be made. So he's going and doing all this work, and then you imagine the patience that he's expecting them to have just waiting for them. You know, he's putting the Lord to wait on him. He's, and the Lord's happy to do it because he knows that what he's doing is sacrificial to him. He's going to, to, to serve the Lord in what he's doing. But to make bread from nothing and produce it, and you're making five-gallon bucket worth of flour of bread and killing a calf and preparing it and getting it all done, that's going to take some time while they just sit under the tree and rest and, 
it's kind of amazing when you sit and think about that and you know they're just there and just kind of hanging out waiting that i don't think for god that it's a a problem to wait for us because obviously he does it a lot but in his time you know the time that goes by is nothing because he lives outside of that time for us it's a a completely different situation that that linear time we're just constantly waiting and going through it where he can kind of be anywhere in time that he would like to be so after they they get the meal and it's presented and they go through and then they ask abraham he said asked where sarah was so i'll go ahead and i'm going to go ahead and read uh, nine through twelve here so this so it starts says where's your wife sarah they asked him there in the tent, he said, then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which is behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I have worn out after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? And so Sarah's there listening, and she's hearing the conversation, kind of eavesdropping from her tent, kind of trying to hear what Abraham and, and the Lord and the angels are all talking about while they're eating this meal. And she hears them say, you know, this time next year you're going to have a son. And she's thinking to herself, this guy's, you know, this is impossible. She's just laughing to herself on the inside because she's, she's like, I'm 90 years old. I'm not going to have a baby at this age. You know, are you finally going to give me this pleasure at this age? You know, that she just, it's comical to her and so she just laughs you know, she doesn't laugh out loud but she laughs to herself and she just can't imagine having a child within a year and I mean, to imagine having a child at 90 years old and just dealing with all the things of an infant just is kind of baffling to even think about and me and Mercedes are some of the older parents at DJ's school and we look around at a lot of the younger parents that are there and I look at them, I think, you know, they have so much energy to be running around and doing activities and playing and all the things that you're doing with young kids. And, you know, at my age, I go play soccer with DJ and I'm afraid I'm going to, you know, twist an ankle or hurt something. And, you know, I'm, I worry about those things. You know, when I was younger, I didn't worry about any of that stuff. You just go out and do it and, you know, you pretty much feel like you're indestructible. And, you know, at my age, I start to worry. I can only imagine if I was, you know, 90 or 99, how am I going to, I can't even imagine the thought of taking care of a young child at that age. So it's just amazing to, to put yourself into that situation. Imagine how that, was, how that would be. And so, again, Sarah laughed to herself and, and you know, at the thought that she was going to have a child within a year. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? And so... God then said, you know, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he restated, once again, that he would return at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. So when God restates things, and it happens a lot in the Bible, things are repeated, you know, two or three times or more. And when, when God's repeating things to us in the Bible, it's, he wants to, you know, get our attention, wants us to pay attention to it, to take heed of his words. It's something where, if you read it once, it's you know God's word. We should listen to it and pay attention. But if he starts repeating himself to us, we need to take note. That's something we need to really pay attention, that he knows that we're not 
giving it our full attention, that it's something that just because it's his word, we're not necessarily listening. And that's why he's repeating it so that we get it. It's the same sort of thing that we do with our kids. That you tell them something once and they should listen, but generally that doesn't always happen. So you repeat yourself sometimes or you repeat their name a couple times and that gets their attention. So God does the same thing with us. And at times, well, did I skip a spot there? Anyway, at times we can fall into the same sort of trap that they were falling into with, you know, not thinking, she's thinking, you know, how can God do this now? And, and God's saying, you know, do you think that, you know, I'm not strong enough, I'm not great enough to be able to give you a child at this age? And so we can fall into the same sort of thing where we think that maybe God isn't, isn't great enough or isn't big enough to do something that, that we are dealing with in our lives or something that we see, like we need to do something to help out, to be able to get it done. And, and when we do this, what we're doing is we're doubting God. Uh, it's like Thomas in the upper room that he knew and God had said he was going to, you know, Jesus told him, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again on the third day, and I'm going to come back. And Thomas was like, until I see it, I'm not believing it. Yet God already said what was going to happen, and he wasn't believing it. He was having that doubt. And so, you know, and that was in John 20, 24 through 29, he goes through that, and we need to not have doubt. We need to have confidence that God's word is is going to be fulfilled, that there's never a question that God fulfills his promises, and God always is able to do things. It's like when somebody asks for prayer and they say, you know, I'm I'm kind of sick. I got a little bit of a flu. Could you pray for me? And, you know, yeah, we're like, sure, absolutely, I'll pray for you. And you do a little prayer and, you know, everything's good. But you hear somebody, they come and they say, like, oh, I have cancer or my brother has cancer. I really, you know, could you pray? And, and that's where you see people get together and, like, you know, not just one person, but they're like, you know, Pastor Bill, come on. And Eric, come, you know, let's all go pray for this person. And it's almost sometimes as if, we need to do extra for for God to be able to take care of it, and it's not a, not bad for us to you know gather together and pray more than one person or anything. But sometimes you could fall into the trap where you think that we need to do more for God when God looks at the situation and says, you know, a flu, cancer, it makes no difference to me. It's just healing somebody. It's all the same. It, it doesn't take any more power from Him to do one or the other. It's just a healing. He has the ability to take care of anything that anything that we could possibly need. If it's in his will, it will be done. And so the fill-in on the sheet on section I, letter E, is going to be nothing is too difficult for the Lord. That he can do anything. So here, Sarah, Sarah was scared, and so she lied, and she said that she didn't laugh. You know, Even though she had only laughed to herself, she still had laughed. And it says, you know, then he said to Sarah... Yes, you did laugh. And it wasn't really a question or an argument. And God wasn't speaking there as, you know, like, are you sure you didn't laugh or anything? It was just a simple statement. Yes, you did laugh. Just to correct her so that she would understand that he knew what she was saying. Even though she didn't speak it, it, didn't, it wasn't audible, he still knew. And God can still hear our thoughts as well. You know, he knows what's in our heart. And, you know, which can be, according to Jeremiah 79, deceitful and wicked. That, depending on the translation you look at, it's one of those two or, or others that are just as bad. And when he sees us, you know, speaking things or even in our heart speaking things, 
it's possible he's going to correct us, just like he corrected her. It's not a punishment. It's just simply kind of putting you back on track, like a reminder, like, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're saying. All you need to do is just be honest with me. We don't need to lie in our prayers or anything. It's simply trust in God. He sees everything. There's no reason to try to hide anything and let our pride get in the way and think that you know, we can have anything to, that's worth offering up to God. That We're all bad. We all sin. We all have you know, deceitful hearts and wicked hearts. And God knows that. And it's through the blood of Christ that we're able to, to, con- to come to God. And so the fill-in I on letter F is God knows our heart. And that kind of finishes up the first section of 18. And now we'll move into the second section, starting at verse 16. I'll read a little bit here. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see, see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about from Abraham what he has promised him. So here it says, so as they're getting up to leave, they were looking down towards Sodom and Abraham walked with them. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And the word hide here is used in different places in the Bible. The same original word is also used as conceal or to cover something like to protect it. Like maybe you're covering your barbecue with a a cover or something like to protect it from something. And so, you know, God may have been saying here that he wanted to protect Abraham from the loss that he could could be looking at because he could know that you know lots down there in Sodom we kind of know that Abraham knows more than more is going on than just God coming to visit him because he's kind of like eat and then go on your way he knows he has things to do and he's walking with him down looking down towards Sodom and Abraham's got to know what's going on in Sodom how horrible of a place it is his nephew lots down there and you know Tom will get more into it next week when he goes into 19 I'm sure but you know lot was sitting at the gate you know not just everybody sits at the gate of the city it's the people that sit at the gate of the city are people that are leaders in the community and judges in the community and so he obviously had some kind of a principal role in that city just because of where he was at and what he was doing and so abraham kind of knows i think what god's going to do and so god might be talking about you know i maybe i don't want him to think that you know Lot's going to die here and kind of cover him and protect him from that loss. And then continues on that says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And indeed, all nations on earth are blessed through Abraham as Jesus comes down through the lineage of Abraham that we're all able to be blessed through that. That we look back at that genealogy and... and from there, it's all kind of starting and just going all the way towards our salvation and coming to us. It says, God chose Abraham to direct his children and household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so the Lord will bring what was promised. 
So it says, so he would do these things so the Lord would bring what was promised. But it's not to say that Abraham had to actually do something, didn't have to do what was right to be able to bring the promise of God. That the way God is saying it here, it's in the Bible, it's more just a fulfillment of that promise. It's a, a statement of this is what's going to happen. The way it's written kind of makes it sometimes it could be understood as like Abraham has to do these things so that the promise will come. But God already knows what's going to happen. So it's more of a statement just saying that Abraham is going to direct his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord doing what is right and just. And so because of that isn't the reason. It's just that's simply a statement. He is going to do this. And my promise is going to be fulfilled. And so the fill-in on the sheet, section 2, letter A, is, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth, from 3 John 1, 4. And I think that you know, Abraham, hearing what God is saying, that he's going to bring his children up in the word, and he's going to teach them, and he's going to do what's right and just, that Abraham can see that his children are going to be believers and that they're going to have faith like Abraham had and that it's going to it's going to be to the glory of God as his generations go down and I think that also with that situation God is looking at that and I think he gets joy out of knowing that his children are brought up in the ways of the Lord as well that we're all children of God and so I think it pains him when he sees all the sin in the world I, I know it pains him he hates sin but that there's so many that are lost and you know, he wants us all to go out and to bring those people to him. And I think that when, when he sees that they are brought to him and that they're being brought up in the word, that gives him joy, just like it does for us when we see our children being brought up in the word. And so that promise is for all of us. It's you know, for all nations that are blessed by, by the birth of Christ, his birth, his death, and the resurrection, that through Abraham, that promise is fulfilled, and we all are blessed. And continuing in verses 20 through 22. It says, Then the Lord said, the, out, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if they have done, see if what they have done is as, is as the outcry that reached me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord, and so here God's speaking about the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's referring to the sins of the nations, which I'm sure Tom will definitely go into in more in-depth when he gets into 19, so I'm not going to get into those too much, but that's kind of what he's referring to there. And then the angels left, and, and Abraham stayed behind with the Lord. So just the, the two angels went down, and Abraham was there just with them and kind of standing there looking down, and this is where Abraham starts like, I'm going to try and try and plead for this nation down there. I, don't, I want Sodom to be protected. I don't, I don't want them all to die down there. That He starts to kind of try and bargain with God over this one. And so Abraham starts to question God about sweeping away the righteous with the wicked. So let's get in 23. It says, Then Abraham happened to approach him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And, and then he gets into the, the numbers there. And so, Abraham starts off, you know, he's trying to trying to bargain it out, and he's saying he's setting up his argument as he's he's talking about sweeping away the righteous with the wicked. 
setting up his argument to try and save Sodom. And you know, God already knows how many righteous people are in Sodom, and you know, there aren't many. It's a pretty small number. So in verses twenty four through thirty two, Abraham starts starts to have that conversation. He's like, So, you know, with, with fifty righteous if there's fifty righteous people down there, will you spare the city? And he asks and and God's like, Sure, yeah, for fifty righteous people I'll spare the city. And then so Abraham starts feeling a little bit more confident. He's like, Okay, well if you'll spare it for fifty, how about forty five? Sure, for forty five I'll spare the city. And he keeps going, How about forty? Yeah, for forty I'll spare the city. And he's just getting bold. He's like, Okay, forty how about thirty? And then how about twenty? And the Lord's still there, yeah. For twenty righteous people I'll spare the city. But Abraham just he's still even more bold. He's like, okay, I got twenty. You know, I go a little further. How about for ten righteous people we just spare the city? And the Lord says, Yeah. For ten righteous people I'll spare the city. And God is, God agrees to it. And we all know that you know the city wasn't spared, so we also know that there weren't even ten righteous people living in Sodom. Not even ten. You imagine that you have Lot living down there and his wife and his daughters. And we know he has at least two daughters. It's not real clear if he had any more because he goes to talk to the sons-in-laws, whether they were the ones that are committed to marry the two daughters he had or other daughters. And he goes to talk to them. And, you know, they don't want to listen. But we know that even if it was all of them, you could figure that could be up to about 10 people right there. So Abraham is probably thinking, if I got 10 people, 10 righteous people, he'll spare the city. Maybe the city's going to be okay. Because he figures, you know, I got Lot, I got his wife, a couple of daughters, a couple of sons-in-laws. You know, maybe there's another daughter or two there that are the ones committed to those sons-in-laws. I know all those people. They're, they're righteous. It'll be okay. But it isn't. So we know that the only survivors, as like we all know, is that it was Lot and his two daughters. Not even his wife made it out. So the fill-in on section 2, letter B, is God is so merciful that he would spare the entire city for even 10 righteous people as God's mercy abounds. So all the people who are living there, if there were just 10 righteous people, he would let the rest of them just go on. He was, he was going there to punish them and destroy them for the sins that were going on, the outcry that was coming up to him about all the sin happening. And... You know, God's willing to spare all of us. I mean, if God wasn't merciful, we'd have all been gone a long time ago. That There's so much sin going on now that we look around, yet he hasn't come back. He hasn't come to, to start to destroy things yet. That things are still fine. We're still going through. We're going through the sin that it's not his time yet. And we look around and things are pretty bad now, but if you look at Sodom and the sins that... The, that Tom will probably be going through when he gets into 19, they're a lot worse than things are here. And things seem pretty bad when we look around, but you start looking at how things, how bad things got in the Bible to bring the wrath of God down to destroy like that. Things will get really bad here before before Christ comes back for us. And it's even worse after after we're gone. So continuing, 
33. Now the, the chapter kind of ends with Abraham returning home after God finished speaking to him. So it just says, you know, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. And so we all know the outcome you know, of what's going to happen. So I can only imagine what was going through Abraham's head that he must have known how bad things were down there. Like I said, that you know his lot, his nephew Lot was living down there, had his family. He's already tried to intercede with God to try and save the city. And I can imagine that he's wondering, you know, will he ever see his nephew again? That he tried and did all he could to try and save it, but they're still down there, and you know, we can look around at those who are living in sin around us and. We can try to intercede for him, and sometimes we wonder, you know, will I see those people again? Will they Will they be saved? Will they make it through everything? And so it, it's important that we keep trying to save other people. We share the gospel. We get the word out to people so that we will see them again when we all are in heaven, that they get saved, that they aren't lost like all of those that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed. So we know the outcome, like I said, and Tom will talk more about all of that, I'm sure, next week. But, you know, Lot gets spared, and he tries to convince his sons-in-laws to come out, but they don't even believe it. They just stay behind. They think it's it's all a joke. You know, we run in that, into that in our lives as well. You know, we go out and we share the gospel sometimes, and people just think it's a joke. They think that we're fools just out, you know, talking crazy things. And we can't let that, you know, lose our faith we don't want to be like lot's wife and you know look back in the world that we used to live in and be held back and destroyed because of it we want to share the gospel and we move forward we leave the rest for god to take care of and this thought kind of brings me back to you know what tom was talking about a couple of weeks ago back in chapter 13 with god not continuing to work with abraham until he and lot kind of separated that Abraham hadn't been doing what what God had asked him, you know, when he had told him in chapter 12 to leave his country, his people, and his father's household to the land that he was shown, he didn't really do that. He, it took him a while before he finally separated from Lot. He you know, made made a bunch of money and doing well, and things are good, and they finally left, and then him and Lot split ways because they had so much so much wealth and all their livestock that they were kind of competing, so they separated ways. And then God came back to him and started working. And I think that the same sort of thing happens to us sometimes. That we might you know, get called by God or feel God's talking to us to do something. And you know, we, we can still not listen to what he's saying. We don't really hear him as he's trying to pull us out of a place or pull us away from people or something that's a, a bad influence in our lives. That we can have things that we're going through or have things that we're involved in and and god's there talking to us you know in our ear you know leave that you know leave that sin behind walk away from that just like he had you know told abraham separate yourself from your father's household they were worshiping idols and doing all sorts of sin where he was living he's saying you separate from that he does the same thing to us yet we can still you know be stuck there with those people or different things that are bad influence on our lives that, that keep us kind of trapped in that. God doesn't continue to work in us. He's, he's called us. He has a plan for us. But until we're listening to him and obeying what he's saying, 
and separating ourselves from those sins and those things that, that take us away from him, he doesn't always continue to work in us. He just leaves us to wait and understand what it is he's having us do. It makes us learn patience. Without a doubt, you know, we might want to do good, but we keep falling into that sin and sometimes wonder, you know, why isn't God doing more for me? Why isn't he working in my life? Why isn't he speaking to me or giving me direction? And oftentimes it's because we're still stuck in a sin. We're not turning away from it. We don't want to separate ourselves from that household, just like Abraham was still kind of attached to his, even though he was told, leave your household and go where I've told you to go. And we can be distracted and you know, very poorly influenced by things around us. And they work against God in our lives. And they can compete for our attention and our time and you know, our praise to God. They try to take us away from God. They keep pulling us further and further away from that. It's something that you know, we all have to watch out for in our lives. It's those idols that we do have that, whether it be you know, our work or you know, just seeking after money or anything that we have in our lives that just draws our attention away, television, video games, any of those things that just that pull us away from God. Those are those things that we need to kind of look to separate ourselves so we can focus on God, that they don't steal God's time away from us or our time away from God. And so those are the things I think that we need to be mindful of, you know, whether it's a person, a situation, a thing, Whatever it is, we need to look at those things and see you know, what's bringing us further away from God rather than closer to God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and that through it we can find direction in our lives and we can find application in any part of the Bible to be able to relate to what we're going through in our lives today that help to give us direction and meaning and understanding. That without your word and without fellowship with you, we're just wandering lost, lost in this world, a world full of sin and, and getting worse as the days go by. I just ask you work in our hearts to keep us focused on you and to be in your word so that we can maintain that fellowship and continue to receive discernment and understanding from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.